This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 123, Gary Michael Hilton, The National Forest Killer In the sprawling expanse of the southern Appalachian Mountains, where the whispers of ancient trees are carried by the wind, a darkness lurked. Gary Michael Hilton, a solitary figure with what would later be described as an undeniably haunting aura, had left a trail of vanishing lives in his wake, staining the serene wilderness with fear and uncertainty. But Hilton's story began decades earlier, in the steamy heart of Miami, Florida, where the searing heat seemed to mirror the intensity of his troubled upbringing. Born into a world tainted by familial discord, young Gary's life was marred by the relentless echoes of domestic strife. His father, a formidable figure with a penchant for violence, instilled in him a volatile temper that simmered beneath the surface, belying a turbulent spirit yearning for release. Yet it was not until Hilton vanished into the shadows of the southern wilderness that his name became etched in the annals of infamy. In the late fall of 2007, a shroud of unease descended upon the small town of Crawfordsville, Florida, following the baffling disappearance of Cheryl Dunlap, a beloved nurse known for altruism and warm, infectious smile. As the days stretched into an agonizing search, with law enforcement and volunteers scouring the dense foliage of the Apalachicola National Forest, whispers began to circulate casting a sinister light on the enigmatic figure of Gary Hilton. His grizzled appearance and penchant for wandering the remote trails of the forest had not gone unnoticed by locals, who now found themselves casting suspicious glances at this mysterious drifter, whose footsteps seemed to overlap with the trail of the missing nurse. It was not until a month later, in the frigid depths of December, that the truth unraveled, casting a pall of horror over the serene landscape. In a secluded patch of forest, investigators stumbled upon the lifeless body of Cheryl Dunlap, her once vibrant spirit snuffed out in the cruel embrace of the wilderness. Hilton's shadow loomed large over this tragedy, an ominous presence now tainted with the indelible mark of murder. As the nation grappled with the shocking revelation, law enforcement agencies across state lines began to unearth a series of clues, hinting at a far more sinister narrative. Hilton's footsteps, it seemed, were not confined to the solitary trails of Florida's forests. They led to the rugged terrains of North Carolina and Georgia, where tales of other vanished souls hinted at a deeper, more chilling reality. The mystery of Gary Michael Hilton was about to unravel, 
revealing a life and crimes that would forever stain the idyllic landscapes of the American South. The shadows of the wilderness yielded their secrets reluctantly, but the meticulous work of investigators began to weave a tapestry of terror that stretched across state lines, binding together the fates of unsuspecting victims whose paths had crossed Gary Hilton. In the hushed valleys of North Carolina's Pisgah National Forest, the disappearance of John and Irene Bryant, a retired couple known for their amiable presence in the local community, set off alarm bells that reverberated through the dense thicket of the Appalachian Mountains. A palpable sense of unease settled over the close-knit town of Hendersonville as rumors of a lurking predator began to circulate. It was amidst this palpable tension that fragments of evidence began to coalesce, pointing once again to the spectral figure of Hilton. Witnesses emerged, recounting fleeting glimpses of a weathered man traversing the rugged terrain with an air of calculated purpose, seemingly a harbinger of dread in this serene wilderness. As the search deepened, the discovery of the Bryant's abandoned vehicle near a secluded trail only served to heighten the sense of impending tragedy, a premonition of the horrors that lay concealed beneath the verdant canopy. Weeks stretched into months, and the somber echoes of the Bryant's disappearance lingered. Yet even as the nation grappled with the disquieting implications of Hilton's nomadic existence, a new revelation emerged from the rugged expanses of Georgia's Chattahoochee National Forest, adding yet another layer of darkness to an already chilling narrative. In the frosty grip of a harsh winter, the serene trails of the forest bore witness to a gruesome tableau that would sear itself into the collective consciousness of a nation. The lifeless form of Meredith Emerson, a spirited young hiker known for her adventurous spirit, was discovered. Her vibrant spirit extinguished in a manner that bespoke an unfathomable cruelty. Hilton's presence, like an ominous specter, lingered at the edges of this macabre scene, leaving behind a trail of unanswered questions and unspoken horrors that threatened to engulf all who dared to venture into the heart of the wilderness. With each new revelation, the tendrils of Hilton's malevolence extended further, entwining the lives of those who had unknowingly crossed his path, forever altering the tranquility of the nation's cherished natural havens. As the nation grappled with the grim reality of Hilton's predation, The pursuit of justice became an unwavering imperative, a beacon of hope in the face of an ever-darkening abyss. Yet the tale of Gary Michael Hilton was far from over, its ominous chapters yet to unfold leaving a nation in the grip of a pervasive fear that threatened to shatter the illusion of safety within the confines of the great American wilderness. As Hilton's dark legacy extended across state lines, a nation held its breath gripped by a collective unease that refused to dissipate. Yet amidst the pall of fear that hung over the storied landscapes of America's cherished wilderness, a relentless pursuit was underway, as law enforcement agencies driven by an unwavering determination closed in on the elusive specter that had haunted the nation for more than two years. In the waning light of a crisp winter's day, the elusive fugitive was finally cornered, his nomadic existence brought to an abrupt halt in the face of an unwavering hunt that spanned the breadth of the southeastern U.S. Hilton's capture, though devoid of the dramatic flourish that often accompanies such events, marked the culmination of a relentless pursuit that had spanned months, 
years. Punctuated by painstaking investigation and a relentless dedication to unraveling this mystery. This mystery of a man who had eluded justice for far too long. In the hushed corridors of the nation's courtrooms, the grim specter of Hilton's crimes cast a shadow that stretched across the moral fabric of a society grappling with the unsettling reality of evil in its midst. In a series of high-profile trials that captured the nation's attention, the evidence against Hilton, meticulously compiled and irrefutable in its damning weight, laid bare the extent of his depravity leaving no doubt as to the nature of the crimes that had stained the tranquil wilderness with the blood of innocence. In 2008, Hilton stood before the judgment of the court, facing the consequences of his role in the tragic demise of Meredith Emerson, a vibrant soul whose untimely end had captured the nation's attention and underscored the urgency of bringing Hilton to justice. In the solemn chamber of the Georgia courtroom, Hilton's fate was sealed as the gavel fell, pronouncing a sentence that mirrored the severity of his crimes, life in prison. Yet the echoes of Hilton's crimes extended beyond the boundaries of a single state, reaching into the depths of Florida, where a separate trial awaited the notorious drifter. A few months after his initial trial, Hilton faced yet another reckoning for his atrocities, as a Florida courtroom bore witness to the culmination of a trial that had gripped the nation's attention found guilty of the heinous murder of Cheryl Dunlap, Hilton found the Florida jury significantly less interested in feeding and housing him for the rest of his life. They sentenced him to death, a fitting end for a life marked by a trail of vanished souls and shattered lives. Later in 2012, Hilton was brought to trial for the third time, this time for the murders of John and Irene Bryant. As part of a plea deal with the prosecutor, he admitted his guilt in the killings and was sentenced to an additional life term without the chance of parole. During the hearings, Hilton described how he had killed Irene on the spot and then kidnapped John to extort his bank details before shooting him in the head with a 22 Magnum and dumping his body. As the years passed, Hilton's name faded from the headlines, relegated to the annals of a history that bore the scars of his darkness. Yet the legacy of those whose lives had been irreversibly altered by his hand endured. The tale of Gary Michael Hilton, the drifter who had left a trail of destruction in his wake, already feels like a living allegory for the precarious balance between the serenity of the wilderness and the lurking shadows of human darkness that threaten, at every turn, to shatter its tranquil embrace. In 2018... Hilton unsuccessfully attempted to overturn his death sentence, citing his defense team as dysfunctional and ineffective. Both state and federal authorities denied this appeal. To this day, he sits, awaiting the delivery of his death sentence at the Union Correction Institute's death row in Florida. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts. I am Ryan. And I am Jordan. Now the debrief. How's it going, Ryan? It's going well. <laughs> this is also a cool one because it kind of continues where we talked about last week. Yeah, it's um, definitely linked to our episode from last week. Sorry, I was antsy to get right into it. <laughs> yeah, apparently. 
How are you doing, by the way? Um, I'm I'm doing well. Okay, I'm good. Doing well. I'm glad we established I, that. When we covered uh, Judy Smith last week, and we talked a lot about this fella. Yes. Yeah, um, we started to develop like this story that maybe she was there to to see him, you know, and yeah, and he killed her in the process. Maybe one of his early victims. Yeah, I now that I've learned more about him, I don't. I'm not saying he didn't kill her, yeah. but I don't think they were romantically involved. Don't quite involved. think that that uh, <laughs> kind of panned out the way that we, no. were, we were playing it. Okay. No, probably maybe not. maybe they were. Because maybe they were, though. I mean, Gary Michael Hilton was a legitimate drifter. I mean, he was a drifter like, with, the, with the last name Hilton. He had to do his own thing, right? He didn't want people fair. to be like, hey, buddy, you got a dollar? I mean, the thing is... He's a drifter, so he could have gone through... Where was Judy from? She was from yeah. Hannes, Massachusetts. That was where she was born. Massachusetts. I could have sworn she was, like, somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know. Okay. Either way. Massachusetts sounds... Hannes, Massachusetts was where she was born, at least. Okay. So, so, he, him being a drifter, he could have been in her area at some point. You know what I right. mean? Right. Maybe they, maybe they like met before she had gotten with Jeffrey. You know, and he yeah. was like, "One day you will be mine, young lady." She's like, <laughs> "Oh, Gary." <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> they said, "He's like, on such and such time, you will go to Pennsylvania, and when you do so, I want you to come to me." Yeah. He he just like knew what was going to happen in the future. No, I don't I, know if he was a smooth talker. Probably not. At <laughs> um, <laughs> yo, Judy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I, I find it less plausible that they were romantically involved. But I find it more plausible that he killed her. Yeah. After doing no, I mean, honestly, I, I think I'd have to agree. At least hearing the story and and kind of his, uh, you know, well, at least everything that was that was in the story rather. Kind of with his upbringing and everything. I mean, yeah, I mean, who's, you know, we can't say like they never met. Maybe he did pass through whatever in the area, kind of drifting through. Yeah. But it just seems a lot less plausible for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with her being in Asheville, North Carolina and everything, and that also being the site of one of his other, yeah, you know, other victims. That's where he dumped a couple. Right. So which one was tied to the tree? None of them. None of them. That was what I had read. None that, of them were like tied someone, to trees. someone nearby, one of his victims was like tied to a tree or something. But yeah, we uh, that might be in one of the other ones that maybe are maybe this guy right that he's okay. suspected for. Um, also, we made the mistake of saying last week that he stabbed his victims because he didn't. Okay. Well, clearly with the he one guy he shot, his victims. he shot too. No, he bludgeoned all of them. Maybe, did I hear that wrong? That's how he I killed thought, all of them. I thought he had shot him with like a twenty-two or something. Unless I'm literally. Oh making yeah, you're that right. Up. But that was no, no. You're right. After he bludgeoned the the dude, he shot him. He shot him. Okay, to make that's, sure he was dead. All right, there we yeah. go. That's what I thought. But uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah you're which, right. Yeah, that makes more makes more sense. So doesn't really line up with the stab wounds found on found on Judy though. Yeah. Yeah. But that was much earlier too, and That's serial true. killers early in their career they experiment with different methods. Yeah. 
So, Maybe that's all you had around him. Just like a, you know, just like a yeah. hunting knife or something. It was just like, haunting here you go, knife, GD. Yep. A haunting exactly. knife. Yeah. A classic haunting knife. Um, so, okay. Unlike most serial killers that, that we talk about, this, this one is fairly recent. So, yeah. less than 20 years, this guy has been locked up. So, not a lot. And he doesn't talk a lot. Yeah. So they did some, the FBI did some initial interviews with him during his trial and right after he was convicted. And that's pretty much all we have of him. So very little is known about his childhood. Mm -hmm. Like normally in these, these serial killer episodes, we'll spend 45 minutes just, yeah. Um, We do know that we just have the general knowledge that his dad was super violent when he was a kid. Um, yeah, and that mean? his mom was basically absent. Like she was around, but didn't give a shit. She didn't. He never felt like she minded. Yeah, that I mean, his dad obviously, beat him he up didn't time, have an easy know? childhood. Yeah, we can yeah. we can pretty much make an, a pretty educated guess to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which again, a lot of these There's, stem um, from poor childhoods and being brought yeah. up with uh, you know parents that are less than uh less than caring or nurturing and sounds like he had a fair share of that yep it does i there's another weird thing about him as far as serial killers go is a lot of his motivation seemed to be robbery okay so almost everyone that he killed he would steal their like ATM card and go to an just go to an ATM with his hood <laughs> up and just withdraw as much money as he could off the ATM card and he would do that like day after day until there was no Damn. you know no money left. Well, that's another thing that doesn't line up with the Judy Smith story because her bag mm-hmm. was found she wasn't with robbed. all of her money and everything. Yeah, yeah, okay, which. Again, that's a that's a thing to me that points toward that being a more personal, right? Murder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. Maybe I mean, something other than more a crime of passion. Somebody out there for hobby, but still, like, why not like grab her spare cash? Yeah. Nobody's around. They're not going to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's well, true. So that's it. It's it's another one it's, kind of bringing me back from thinking me even yeah even tying him with anything. But again, yeah. could be early on, possibly. Not a hundred percent. It's true. All right. It's um it's it's interesting because his he stands out in serial killers because his crimes didn't seem to be sexually motivated. They weren't compulsive. He would Yeah. I it feels like this guy was very poor, right? Obviously. He was a drifter. He would just yeah. go from place to place and, you know, panhandle or fucking do odd jobs. That's how he lived all the time. It feels to me like someone in that situation who found something that worked, which was killing people and stealing their ATM cards. Yeah. And it, he just went for it. He just started doing it. Whenever he was hard up, he would just kill somebody and steal their ATM card. Maybe he tried all the methods before and none of it worked out for him because they thought it was like too homely looking. I mean, it was said that he was like, uh, he looked 
kind of monstery, right? Yeah, he's yeah, he's a pretty fucked up looking guy. <laughs> Which I, like, you know, I'm not I'm not using that as like a whatever, but I'm saying like maybe none of that worked. So he was like, finally, you know, maybe he killed one and it's like, oh, this is a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, let's say he has a Tolkien troll like appearance. <laughs> okay. Sort of looks like like an orc from Lord of the Rings. Sweet. Yeah. He's also very old for a serial killer. I mean, yeah. So a lot of that is why people, experts, believe that there are more killings that he never well, admitted that put to. Him, because Judy Judy was killed when she was 50, and I think they were around the same, like, 46 or 49 yep. or something, right? So that would have put him more they were born in the like 60s. the same year. Yeah. So in 2007, he would have been, yeah, 70 years old. Yeah. I think maybe maybe that's bad math. Hold on, I think sixty because yeah, Judy was nine in ninety seven, and this is ten years later, so that would have put him yeah around okay. around sixty. So in two thousand seven, that would have made him sixty one years old. Which still, I mean, that's that is a pretty significant older age for murder. First murder, right? Yeah, yeah. The FBI was like, yeah, that doesn't happen. There are definitely more murders that <laughs> right. he's not talking about. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It, it just, there has to be. Yeah. But maybe he likes to keep them personal. Apparently. I don't know. You want to hear about some of them? I, w- I would love to. Some of the uh, the suspected. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. So, as we've discussed on September 7th, 1997, several human bones and personal items were found in Pisgah National Forest scattered near a campground. The decedent was eventually identified as 51-year-old hiker Judy Smith, who was last seen in Philadelphia five months earlier on April 10th. It's been speculated that she might have been a victim of Hilton, who had left one of his victims in a similar condition near where where Judy's body was discovered. So, Judy, as we've talked about, that's that's mostly an area thing. Yeah, I think, I, I think that they, I think that's more more of it, right? Yeah. But then we have twenty-year-old Jason Andrew Knapp, a Clemson University student, was last seen by his roommate as their res at their residence in University Terrace Apartments in South Carolina on April eleventh, nineteen ninety-eight. His roommate said that Knapp was watching a movie at approximately ten thirty p.m. that evening. Authorities found Knapp's white 1990 Chevy Beretta abandoned nine days later on April 21st. The vehicle was parked at Table Rock State Park in Pickens County, South Carolina. He was declared legally dead in 2018. Due to similarities to to his other known crimes, Hilton was proposed as a suspect, but he denied any connection to Knapp. Okay. Which, yeah, so again, I think this it, was just... But... Sit there. I think this was just sort of again in his sno- in his stomping grounds. Yeah, and they they were just like, "Hey, did you do this one?" Imagine being like someone during that time that just like piggybacks off of all of his stuff, just so like people like just tie it to him automatically. Dude, they there's basically a ton get off of, like scot free the whole th- yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, there are a ton of examples of that. Like, um, during the while the Golden State the Golden State Killer. Yeah. His whole thing. Like there were 
some people speculate that there were up to four or five different serial killers happening in the same part of California at the same time. I mean, yeah, it's honestly, it it makes sense because again, you have the focus on this one person and you you can pretty much uh, guarantee or at least, you know, assume that they're going to look at that person with all these other things happening yeah. too because the, the focal point is is still on them so yeah yep it's awful but it's it's crazy it's it's and there's that whole theory about the um about the fuck what's his name the zodiac killer that like it never even really existed right that that was all separate killings that yep. they just tied into one person for and I've seen like the breakdown of it and it makes sense like none of those crimes are similar yeah none of them but if you have a fall guy then you have a fall guy right yeah and once they started talking about the zodiac in the papers and stuff then you had like random people donning a zodiac symbol on their thing while they killed and then it just yep. got added yeah it's crazy. You kind of run around it's, a uh, populated neighborhood after doing something so they see what you look like and you're dressed you know similar to them and then go home put on your normal clothes yeah perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's uh it's a messy it's business ridiculous but i i'm sure like I, i'm sure that's a, that's kind of a thought process right yeah I I guarantee shit like that has happened. Yeah. All right. Any more? All right. So, yeah. Hairdresser Patrice Marie Tambor Andres. That is a name. Disappeared, right? That's like the Coke Mountains. Or, sorry, the Cola Mountains. <laughs> yeah. It's true. The, uh... Apple, Apple, Appalachian, the Appalachian, Appalachian, whatever, Cola. Cola. Appalachia Cola State <laughs> or National Forest. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. Maybe that should be a part of Ravenbrook. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly. Uh, I'm going to say her name again. Ready? Yeah, let's hear it. Patrice. Patrice Marie Tambor Andres. All right. Patrice Tamagotchi. 30, 38 years old. She disappeared from her hair salon. Tambor's Trim and Tan in Cumming, <laughs> Georgia. Say that five times fast. <laughs> On air. Tambor's Trim and Tan? Yeah. Tambor's Trim and Tan, Tambor's Trim and Tan. Nope. I can't do it. Tambor's Trim and Tan, Tambor's Trim and Tan, Tambor's Trim and Tan, Tambor's Trim and Tan. I fucked it. (laughs) Exactly. On the last one. Damn it. Tambor's or Tammers? Yeah. Tambor's. Tambor's. Tambor's Trim and Tan. Nope. I can't. No, I'm not. I can't even do it. (laughs) Tambor's Trim and Tan. Uh, Can't tell at all that we're recording this episode at 3.30 in the morning. Larry's come and get him's. Where if you don't have it, neither do we. Tambor's Trim and Tan in Cumming, <laughs> Georgia. On April 15th, she disappeared. 20, okay. Or, yeah, 2004. 2004. Between right. 11.37 and 11.50 a.m. Okay. Her remains were found on December 6th, 05 in Dawson County, Georgia. Hilton was known to have been in Forsyth County because he had been stopped for a traffic violation there. In his statements to investigators, Hilton told them that he would usually go to hair salons to ask for money, usually around lunchtime. 
Investigators were unable to find an alibi for him on the day of Patrice's disappearance. Huh. Now this one, I think, is plausible. Yeah. Because they had him in the county. Right. Right? On that day. And he talked about how he used to go to hair salons to beg for money all the time. And when was he questioned about this, though? Two years after. So this is my thing about alibis. It's like, explain where you were 30 years ago, 24, no, 23 hours and 17 minutes ago. Like, I don't know, bud. I'm probably yeah. home. I might have been pooping. Like, who knows? See, like, that's <laughs> that's, what, yeah. that's what gets me about alibis. Unless, like, you're like, oh, yeah, it was at a function or something, like, you know, where you knew. But, yeah, most likely I was home. But they don't like most likely. It's true. And that's, that's stupid because... How can you expect, and I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me just having terrible memory these days, but like, I can't tell you what I was doing, what is today, whatever, the same day last week. Same. Same. It's Completely. Just, it's, I have no idea. Right. Actually, I think we were doing this, but still. Probably. Um, but for I most would be days, fucked in that situation. Right, exactly. Most days, I, I you know, honestly, I... I can't. I can't tell you exactly what I was doing a week ago. I can't. I can't describe seeing yeah. someone out. Like you know, what what did they look like? How were they dressed? How tall were they? What describe their facial features? I don't know. Yeah. Like honestly, I have is, a bad memory, dig. and that sucks. <clears throat> the thing is, though, they dig for alibis deeper than just your recall, right? So yeah. like, they check like your bank records. Like, what did you buy that day? What stores did you go to? Like, yeah. They talk to everyone who may have seen you or been near there. They like, there's some some deep shit going. It's not just like where well, were yeah, you? Of and course, I don't know. Of course. Like, I mean, well, he doesn't like, know where he was. But being asked like, you know, what were you doing on this date or whatever else? I mean, a lot of time <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um. I mean, in that in that interrogation situation, I think it would go like this. All right, Jordan, where were you on? January seventh, twenty twenty one. I honestly I have no idea. I I accidentally picked the day after the fucking the storming of the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that after I got the date out. Okay, but I would say no idea. Probably home. I have no idea. Actually, here's how that would go, because. I have watched so much fucking Dateline. Yeah. I've read so much true crime. You, I wouldn't answer a single fucking question. You don't ever answer a single fucking question. You say lawyer. Lawyer. All right. All right. Lawyer. There you go. Fair. That's it. That's the only answer you give. What if you know you did lawyer. nothing? Doesn't matter. Lawyer. Okay. You know how many people give end up giving co- false confessions because they're fucking mentally and emotionally broken down over oh, 16 yeah. hours locked in yep. an interrogation room like horse no, without water not able to use the restroom all of it right yeah yep fuck that mm-hmm. it it blows my mind that there are still people in 2023 who sit through that like our legal system provides defense for you it doesn't matter if you have money or you already have a lawyer or not. It doesn't matter. You just say, I want a lawyer. There you go. And that's it. You don't say another fucking word. Just, like, to, just, to, people say, are, just to throw it out that we can't provide legal advice. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, 
use use common sense to ask for a fucking lawyer right seriously like there it it freaks me out dude i don't i don't understand like the number of people who will sit through that shit. like they're so pre they're so freaked out that it's going to make them look guilty asking for a lawyer fuck that it doesn't matter what you look like it matters what you did yeah i mean that's, that's true that's true yeah like get a lawyer immediately yeah don't even tell them don't even tell them you're fucking don't even confirm what your name is just i want a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> well we have it right here nah, I, I need a lawyer i cannot confirm nor deny yeah. that is my picture you're looking at <laughs> exactly you want something to drink no i want a lawyer <laughs> that's not me <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, this one this one seems the most plausible so far because yeah, just because they ha- I would agree for sure. Yeah, they just have him in the county. He his habits led could have easily led to her run, him running into her. Like it it makes sense. Yeah, it seems a lot more then, um, targeted, like specific for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, then we have twenty six year old Rosanna Milani, Miliani, a hiker from Miami, Florida was last seen at approximately 12 p.m. at the Ramada Inn Hotel in Cherokee, North Carolina. Miliani called her father from the hotel that day and told him she was going hiking on the Appalachian Trail. A store clerk who read about Miliani's disappearance claimed she sold a backpack to Miliani and an unidentified older white man in his 60s in Bryson City, North Carolina in 2005. Following Hilton's arrest, the store clerk contacted authorities to note the similarities between Hilton and the suspect. I mean, that would that would line up age-wise. And also if there's similarities, time-wise, time, time yeah, everything. Yeah. 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 That one's... That, that's weird again, though. Like, it, just like in the, um, in the Judy Smith case, you have these, like, these weird... Think, like, why would this 26-year-old... Miami hiker be hanging out with this 60 year old drifter at a gas like they were together seen together at a gas station you know, people people like older older people maybe <laughs> that usually goes <laughs> with affluence though <laughs> right like I get going for a 60 year old silver fox driving a Mercedes right yeah you know but like <laughs> not this like not this like, homely looking drifter dude yeah, this fucking fantasy orc that just climbed out of the forest. Like, it's it's just weird. It reminds me of the the sightings of Judy, where she's like in the gas station, she's all happy and right, like yeah. telling her life story. I mean, just I like the one up. in Asheville, where she was literally in Asheville exactly. and talking to the yeah the store person. They said, "Oh yeah, she seemed very lovely." Yeah, I should bring up. Um, someone commented after we dropped that at the episode on on Judy. Okay. That they thought that interaction where she's telling the clerk all about her her life basically telling her about like her husband's at a conference and blah blah blah. She said that to her that sounded like a veiled plea for help. Cry for help, yeah. Like that she was like dumping all this personal information to like leave a trail. I mean, yeah, that's that's possible. That that is definitely possible. I mean, yeah. I guess if they if they were around, like that, if that person say 
let's use Gary as an example, was there with her. That would I see I think like that would be something they would note. Or at least like there was also happened yeah. to be this kind of creepy looking dude that was in the store that same time. Yeah. Uh but Judy seemed really happy. Like I I don't know. You know, you would think like if it was just her, I feel like she might be a little bit more apt to maybe not seem so like sure. bubbly, right? I mean, maybe he just like popped in the door and was just standing in the door waiting on her. Maybe. You know what I yeah, mean? And, that's possible. You know, the clerk just didn't notice him or maybe he was like, you know, back behind the beef jerky, just keeping an eye on her. Right. Standing you in know? a corner yeah. with his head behind a magazine, just kind of watching her out of his, you know, the corner <laughs> you of his. You never know. Yeah. You, you don't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like we were just talking about, memory is super unreliable. You know what I true. mean? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting because that never really even dawned on me that that's something someone might do. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I didn't think of that either. Um, but it does; yeah. it makes sense. Like I said, I mean, especially yeah. if they were also to see someone, you know, maybe matching that description or looking sure. out of the ordinary with her, and then her being very, you know, whatever, but also giving all this information. That that to me, it just it would make more sense if that was the case. But again, we don't know yeah. the other details other than that. Yeah, that's true. So the final one on the list, we have Michael Scott Lewis. Michael Scott. Now, he was 27. He was a South Dakota resident. He went missing on November 21st, 2007. So that would have been about a month after after Hilton killed... Um, John and Irene Woods. This is about a month later. Yeah. Um, A few weeks later, on December 6th, his dismembered remains were found by a fisherman in Ormond Beach, packed in black bags which had been dumped in the Tomoka River. The remains were not immediately connected to Lewis, with identification occurring several days later by a lab in California. His head was never located. Authorities have stated that while Hilton remains a suspect in the murder and was in the area at the time, he is not the sole one. So they have other other theories as well. I hope he didn't domer it and keep it in his closet. Right? <laughs> so he was uh it's a little misleading. The he's a South Dakota resident, but the Tomoka River, that's Florida, Ormond Beach, that's Florida, so the the he went missing in South Dakota, but his body was found in Florida. Mm-hmm. So he could have been visiting. Yeah. He could have been on, could have been on vacation. I mean, I feel like they would have had more sure. details from like friends and family or whatever, maybe. But now, I, yeah, there I guess is that's some hard, hard to say. There is some some weird shit, some like deeper details about some of these um, murders that because. At first, you might think like that sounds a lot more extreme than what than what our guy did. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because he like dismembered the body and all that. Yeah. So the thing is, um, John Bryant, the male in the couple that he killed, was found decapitated. Um, he, Irene, the wife, was also found decapitated. He later talked about how he put their heads in a camp in the campfire to like try and try and 
cremate them, basically, the heads. He removed the heads to try and avoid them being identified. Ah, uh, okay. All right. At least that's that's what he says. Right. Um, decapitation is a pretty intense um, process, so it's it's sort of weird to um, to do that for like a functional purpose and not like a passion driven purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So I mean, he says it was for you know it served a function, but. Who even knows? I mean, yeah, right? that's that's the thing, right? It's, I mean, obviously we're not going to know, but you can say whatever, you know, just to make it sound good in that moment. Or think maybe that's what your yeah. audience wants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, hard um, to say. He also did with, uh, with Meredith Emerson and Cheryl Dunlap, the other two victims confirmed victims he did like um he performed pretty random and haphazard attempts at like mutilating the bodies yeah to try and he said to try and avoid them being id'd so like severely damaging their faces and like cutting up their hands not cutting them off but just like stabbing their hands a lot of times like it's grinding off their fingerprints. It's horrific. And... Sure, it's it's weird. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he his actions that are confirmed were, in they were severe. So I could see him on this this last guy, this Michael Scott Lewis. Um. I could see him cutting. It seems a little clean for his style, if anything. The fact that he like dismembered the body, packed it in in individual bags, yeah, dropped the bags in the river. You know what I mean? He's more of like a. To me, he reads like a berserker. Okay, yeah, like, that's fair. He's just going like smashing in. He kills them, and then he's just like going going wild on on the body. I don't see him as like a calculated like separate the shoulder joint and <laughs> remove the arm yeah and pack that nicely like that seems very like dexter or you know, the ice that like the ice very, killer yeah yeah exactly the very clean mm-hmm. like orderly disposal of the bodies yeah that seems a little outside of his style yeah i mean what and honestly that also takes precision and most often yes. it's going to take some type of medical like education or learning how to do proper cuts and you know procedural cuts and things like that right that are going to be that yeah. that fine and whatever else yeah sure not some homely I mean, drifter is going to be able to i, maybe, I don't know <laughs> yeah. maybe it, it did have the I mean, internet I, youtube and shit so that's true i hear that a lot and you hear that a lot in true crime stuff that like fully dismembering a body would like hint at some kind of medical knowledge you know yeah but to me i don't know how much sense that actually i feel like if you can if you can buy a whole chicken and break it down you could dismember a body yeah but i mean if you to do it with precision i think is different yeah I mean, definitely if the cuts aren't jagged if right. like you know what it's i mean like 100 like, clean it, like 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, if it if it looks like a surgeon did it, then most likely, sure, someone with some previous a medical practice <laughs> or or a surgeon did it. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But yeah, this is this. I mean, obviously, he, he killed four people, so he he qualifies as a serial killer for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're looking at up to ten. They think up to 10 victims with all these suspected the victims that we yeah. talked about. Which, I mean, that's... But some of these don't make sense to me. I think, if anything, I think... I'm going to say her name again. Patrice Marie Tambor Andres. I think she makes sense. The yeah. hairdresser. And um, Rosanna Miliani makes sense. The, yeah, yeah. I think just because the eyewitness report it makes me right it makes me lean that yeah I, I agree with that for sure yeah some of the others are i mean they seem they seem a bit like almost just kind of a reach just yeah coincidental yeah but again you know there's not really much much coincidence out there so that's true i mean honestly he could have killed every one of these and 10 more yeah exactly we don't know about yeah. You know, I mean, the guy was in his 60s by the time he was caught, so he could have been killing for 50 years. He could have been. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the crazy thing is, I mean, this this dude probably he could have had a past of of killing. Murdering. Yeah. He could have been killing since the mid 70s. Exactly. Yeah. Especially with his the fucked up childhood. He was a drifter from the time he left home. Like he was never in one place for more than a couple weeks his whole life. Yeah. So he definitely could have been far more prolific than we realize. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's just it's nuts to nuts to think about. But I mean, for that happening so late in life, I mean, there's got to be more. Yeah. But I I don't know. I mean, you know, it just it just seems it seems like such a small I, mean, I can't say that's a small body count because that's a significant amount of amount of deaths or murders, sure. or whatever. But I mean, you know, over yeah. a, a sixty years of age. Yeah. I mean, I, you would think maybe there's a few stragglers, but again, yeah. I mean, and FBI profilers will tell you that you don't really develop a, a taste for serial killing in your sixties. Yeah. You know what I mean, like. It's not an all of a sudden type of thing. I mean, he's like, I've done this, I've done that, I've done, huh, what else have I not done with my life? Oh, yeah, murdering. Yeah. I forgot Let's about that to the I old bucket to list. Some, <laughs> I forgot to do me some murdering. <laughs> Jesus. Hey. It's, you um, know, that's odds ridiculous. are like, if this guy followed, if, if this guy followed the path of, uh, we'll say, standard serial killer. Yeah. Right. If there is a standard, right? Um, he probably, being a drifter, being someone who left home early, he probably would have started with petty crimes, right? Stealing mm-hmm. from fi- stealing from stores. It would it w- that would have gone up to like violent theft, like mugging people, breaking and entering, robbery, shit like that, and then that would that would. He'd get a taste for violence yeah. through that. Oh yeah, for sure. And that becomes 
I mean, in most cases, that becomes like sexual assault, mm-hmm. rape, things like that get get mixed in. Now he, there's no there's no indication that he was sexually motivated in any of his crimes. Right. I mean, so, none of them, none of them really had that aspect to him or any of that to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which is a breath of fresh air. I was going to say it's surprising. You know, that's, <laughs> that's different from yeah. the majority of the ones we talk about. Hats off to you for only murdering people <laughs> instead of raping them first. For the sake of doing um, good. Or, or maybe yeah. money, you know, um, whatever. No, but they, they get that taste of violence from the, from the advanced petty theft, right? From robberies and muggings and shit. And then yeah. that, you know, one, usually one goes too far or they, they build up to, to killing someone, convincing themselves that there is a reason to kill them because they're mugging them and they need the money and blah, blah, blah. And then once they kill their first one, then shit goes off. I mean, yeah. So... He definitely, definitely could have been like a full-fledged serial killer by the '80s. Yep. And maybe he, yeah. he had a period where he stopped. But sure, I, I don't know. You know, or he may have been one of those weird ones with super long cooldown times. Yep, exactly. Like, where he would kill someone, and it would be a year before he killed again, or three mm-hmm. years. And you know, those are rare, but they happen. That's true. That's true. He was I also do. in and out of jail over time yeah, that, you know what you i mean go. so yeah that hmm. could have kept the number low too that he was going to jail for these petty crimes off and on his whole life you would think he would hold off on the petty crimes so he could do the real ones still gotta eat that's true that's true <laughs> i mean he could go full full dahmer <laughs> and uh uh no just you know we're not turning this take episode a doggy into back one home. of those <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's been a topic I mean, we look, discussed too much on this show. If you're hungry for murder and a meal, it's a twofer. why not get two birds stoned at once? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> well, this has been an exciting episode, and that concludes... Ep- no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I'm, I really wanted to get into this one because he became like the linchpin of our theory in the last episode. And I, yeah. I wanted to dig in. That was, see. it's, it's awesome to be able to make that transition into this, like to be able to actually talk about him yeah. now that we now are a little bit more educated and, you know, possibly rule out Judy. I, I don't know. Not, not a hundred percent, but I think it's just a lot no, less. None of them are a hundred. Right. Yeah. It just seems coincidental. Like yeah. she died in the same in the same giant fucking national forest. Yep. Let's talk about that also. Like the Pisgah National Forest is not a small right. area where both these murder sites were found. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah. It's, crazy. it's huge. It's a national goddamn forest. Um. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't know. I just think because he's because he's sort of this um, transient, it's really easy to to link him up to a lot of different unsolved cases. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to easy to do at that point. Right. Yep. Also these like cold case teams that we have all over the country now, they, I mean, they love, this is going to sound terrible, but they love a serial killer. 
like as a suspect. Yeah. Because you can you can like imagine getting like a clean sweep. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's rare when you're working cold cases. I mean, yeah, that's obviously it would suck to work cold cases though. It's not an easy job, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about we were talking about how we don't know what we did a week ago. Like these these people working cold cases are calling people up and like, "Hey, can you tell me what you reported to the police back in 1973?" I don't know, but I've slept since then. Right? Oh gosh, that's slept annoying. for the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah, it's that. I mean, that would be that's a tough job, man. What were you doing 40 years ago to this day? Yeah. Seriously, it's it's pretty crazy. This it's, I mean, it'd be so difficult. Hats to off do. to them. They're doing God's work, but like, God, that would suck. Yeah, agreed. Completely. So, Gary Hilton, Michael, definitely a scumbag. Hilton. Yeah, he is a scumbag for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, he did some killing. He's a scumbag, yeah. obviously. Yep confirmed serial killer and with no real like I, I mean i don't i don't really know the motive specifically what we would say you know maybe just grabbing a yeah. good hot meal that day whatever yeah but yeah there's easier ways that you can do that much easier and much less harmful stay in one place for a little bit longer you know i'm sure yeah you, sure people are willing to help and then you know it just there's so many better options than murdering jeez gary he should have worked it out should have no they i mean that's that's one of the weirdest parts is the the motive because you don't get many serial killers that are motivated by money yeah it's it's weird yep agreed most people aren't willing to do that to kill over and over again in insanely violent fashion for an atm card that's like I just can't imagine. I mean, how much money it. is it's... a fucking? How much money is a twenty-something-year-old woman hiking in the fucking Appalachian Trail going to have in her bank account anyway? Maybe she's like, got her family's credit cards. She could be a broke-ass college student too. She could be exactly. She could have a negative balance in her checking account, and you're there murdering her and taking that whole life of you know, yeah, time that she could have spent getting more money into her account. <laughs> yeah. Fixing that I mean, negative balance? Come on. You're the, and, like, the couple that he killed, John and Irene Bryant, they were in their 80s. Like, you're there, like, fighting, trying to burn someone's face off in your campfire, and you're doing it for what? A month worth of a fixed income? <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <sighs> you're not getting much. And there's people, I mean, he's not the only one like that out there, but, you know, like... For sure. I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to me. We live in a messed up world. Yeah, this show confirms that. Absolutely. (laughs) Everything we talk about. I mean, I'm all about, like, the haunts and the abduction, alien abductions, uh, not, like, missing persons abductions, but, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, leave leave the murder murder in for like let's just get rid of that. <laughs> you know, should be a thing. Yeah, you just want the spooky stuff without the actual danger. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a lovely world. <laughs> that sounds 
Sounds like a perfect world. <laughs> I'm into it. All right. Well, good. All right, man. And that concludes episode 123, Gary Michael Hilton, the National Forest Killer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.